And welcome once again to an episode of Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. And on today's episode, we're talking about the 2009 movie Knowing. Now this, from my past episodes, this is probably the first movie that I know that most people don't like, but I like. So this is going to be fun because we're finally getting to one of those movies that uh, I, I love to talk about, I love to dissect, I love to look at, I love to watch, but I know that most people don't. And I get it. I see where the uh, faults are. I know I know that it's not, it's not at the best, but it has a lot going for it that I absolutely love. And one of the things that I love about this movie is the director, Alex Proyas. Now, one of the reasons why I like this guy is because he is probably one of my favorite directors. I know, I get it. But the reason why is because when he makes movies, he goes and makes movies. A lot of times when you're watching movies, you always think, you know what, I wish they would have developed this a little bit more. I wish they would have done this. I would, it would you know, they talked about this. It would have been cool to see this. It would have been this, this, is. There's always more. You're always looking for a little bit more. In a, in a lot of movies, you're, al- you're, you're, you're looking for more. And what, he, what Alex does is he gives you everything you want. I mean, I'm a big fan of Gods of Egypt. I'm one of the few fans of Gods of, e- gods of, of Egypt. And if you're going to talk talk to me about, well, you know, the movie is about Egypt, but there was no Egyptian actors and the gods were played by white, you know, British and, uh, and, and, and Scots. And my rebuttal to that is, have you watched the movie? It's, it doesn't care about being accurate. It's going balls to the wall in that movie i mean there's literally a scene where a guy fights another guy he gets beaten up turns into a golden eagle man flies to the one of the highest points of the world decides that he needs to go speak to his grandfather flies with a human into space lands on a ship that's flying around Earth that's basically see-through, and then a giant Jeffrey Rush comes out, talks to him, and then turns around and starts fighting a giant smoke snake monster that's trying to eat the Earth. I don't think this movie is trying to be the most accurate movie out there if you want to try and find a movie that you can say hey it this should have been more respectful of cultures go to um the ridley scott scott movie um with christian bale that's that's a movie that i can honestly say like this should have been made with better appropriated characters this movie gods of egypt no it's it's crazy but not only did he direct that he also directed the crow which which partway through the shoot had to deal with brandon lee getting shot and dying and then they had to finish the 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 movie so when we so when a lot of people talk talk about you know the fast and the furious movies now they had to handle paul walker's death alex had to do this 
almost 20, probably around 20 years prior to this, if not more than 20 years prior to this with Brandon Lee. And he did a really good job. I mean, The Crow is is one of the most 90s movies I've ever seen. That movie could never have been made and and look like that in any other any other decade. Not even close. And he also made Dark... He also directed Dark City, which in my opinion has one of the best endings of all time. It's one of the best endings of all time. If you have never seen Dark City, if you don't know anything about how Dark City ends, treat yourself and go watch Dark City. Because I guarantee you, no matter what you think, you won't be able to guess the ending. You won't. And I'm not going to spoil it here. But it is incredible. Then he jumps and he does iRobot, which is one of the best modern sci-fi films out there. I mean, this movie is pure sci-fi. It's interesting. It's fun. It's got great characters. Will Smith is still one of those bankable stars in the world at this point. And then he goes and he does Gods of Egypt. Like, right there, there's five movies, including Knowing, where I can sit down and I can watch them at any time. At any time. And that's one of the reasons why why Alex is one of my favorite directors of all time is because... He keeps putting quality. He keeps putting movies out that I like. I know that some of the movies out there, like I get all the criticism. I understand the criticism for his films. I understand them. I get them. I I I can see them. But when I look at them as just a simple a simple movie designed to entertain me for an hour and a half to two hours, does it do the trick? And ninety nine percent percent of the time. With his movies, yes. Yes, it does. And we're going to talk about a little bit about the ending for Knowing as well. But I'll save that for the end. So if you haven't seen Knowing yet, go watch it. Come back. Or if you want, you can listen to about half of this podcast. Before I get to the ending, I'll talk about, I'll say when I'm going to talk about the ending I'm just giving you the spoiler heads up, but I will talk about the the ending in this. If you want to listen to the to this a little bit to see whether you should why watch it or not, and then go go right ahead. I mean, I suggest go watching it anyways. Now, one of the main draws of this film is its star Nicolas Cage. Say we say what you want about Nicolas Cage. The man has won an Oscar, and he's been able to sustain a career by being a ham actor. And by a ham actor, I mean he hams it up a lot. That's what he's known for. And it's gotten to the point where people want to see that from his films. That's what they expect. So when you see a Nicolas Cage movie, you're automatically drawn to it. And in this name, Nicolas Cage plays John Cussler. He is a single dad who is raising his son, obviously, single dad, raising his son who unfortunately has uh, partial hearing, hearing loss. He can still he, he can still hear things, but um, words and, and ideas get kind of jumbled up. Um, so he uses a hearing aid to kind of filter through some of that stuff, um, which is an interesting character take for uh, a child and an interesting character take for Nicolas Cage to play off of because he's such a hammy actor. That to play a character, that to play the father of a son with uh, a noticeable kind of def- um, 
um, a noticeable issue, but they don't play it up as much as they 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 do, which is nice. It's a really interesting take, and I like it. And I don't normally like kid, kids in films. Opposite Nicolas Cage is Rose Byrne, who I'll watch basically anything that Rose Byrne is in. She seems to be one of the most consistently, um, the, the most consistent actors working today. I mean, almost everything she she, she puts out is is really good, interesting, funny. I mean, the fact that she could go from, uh, you know, movies like the X-Men universe to get him to the Greek and Neighbors. And then she also jumps from, uh, you know, the Insidious films. She does a lot, obviously she does a lot of comedy, but there's a movie that she did. I believe it was called Adam. Just looking to see. Yeah. So the movie was called Adam. It came out literally the same year as, as knowing and it's a more independent film and it's actually the type of film that i i wouldn't mind actually doing on this but she plays someone who ends up developing a strong relate relationship with someone with asperger's so i really like that that movie it's kind of one of those hidden gems that you don't actually see or hear or hear about and it's got a solid cast too which is great but it just kind of went under the wire it's 2009's Adam, go see it if you can. It's actually a surprisingly good movie, and she take and and she does a surprise uh, a really good serious role. Um, so she kind of she doesn't. I'll admit she doesn't do a whole bunch in this, but her character and her daughter actually really have uh, a great kind of mother daughter acting portrayals in this. And by that I mean her the girl who plays her daughter's name her real name is laura robinson and rose Byrne plays diane her daughter's name abby now what i like about this about those two are laura robinson looks like it like she could be rose Byrne's daughter it's actually kind of freaky how close they got it like the cat like the cat casting of of her was perfect and she's also from australia too which is which is i believe where rose Byrne is from um so a little fun thing there so you know what maybe they actually might be related through like cousins and and all this stuff but it works but what i really like about this casting choice is at the start of the film you're introduced to a little girl played by laura robinson who plays lucinda once lucinda grows older you see pictures of lucinda as an adult played by rose byrne and Rose Byrne plays the uh, older version of Diane. And Laura Robinson plays the younger version of Diane and also her daughter. So they each, so like each one of them, I, it, it can get con- confusing, but Laura Rob- Robertson plays, Robinson, sorry, Laura Robinson plays the younger female character in this family whereas rose Byrne plays the adult versions of everybody in this family so it's 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 really cool to see like the progression um and it's interesting kind of casting decisions because at, at times you kind of see young actors and then you see their adult versions and they don't look anything alike and you're thinking like well how does this person grow into 
this person. I don't get it. So the fact that not only does Laura look like her, like she could be related to Rose Byrne, they each play different parts of different characters throughout throughout the age. So it was a really cool trick. I really liked it. It really kept me kind of, it, it made me believe that this was a family, that this was a three generation, that there were three generations going on with this. And as a side care character, you also got to see Ben Mendelsohn, who at this point was still acting, but again, another Australian. This movie was filmed in Austra- Australia, even though parts of it take place in New York and Boston. But if you're from Vancouver, you know that it doesn't matter where you're from. A lot of places can look like other places. It's movie, ma- movie magic. But Ben Mendelsohn kind of plays a, a side character. Nothing too special in this. It's just nice to see an actor of his quality doing something like like this. So you got a, you have a lot of quality actors in this movie. In this movie. Now this movie was considered a box office success. It wasn't a huge box office success. Um, prior, obviously, prior to knowing, Alex did iRobot, which was a massive box office success. This movie was still a success, still a, still a success. It had a production budget of fifty million dollars, and it ended up grossing one hundred eighty-eight million dollars. So obviously, it made its money back, plus a little bit more, which is obviously what you want to see in a film. And it was also known number one the weekend it, it came out, which is always a nice kind of news story, is when your film can de- debut at n- number one. Now talked a lot about the behind the scenes i want to talk to you about, about the story but i'm not going to get into the ending the movie starts in uh i believe it's 1957 and you're seeing that a brand new school is opened up and what they decide to do to celebrate this the opening of the school was to create a time capsule which when you think about it, time capsules aren't used too often in films. I don't know why. Like the time capsule sort of concept to use in films seems like a really smart idea. I don't know why more movies or TV shows or anything like that really utilize the whole idea of um, time capsules. It seems like a really interesting idea that can be played with, altered with. You know, there could be different ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be... Um, just a standard puts a, puts something in and then certain years later you see it um you know i don't i don't kind of, i don't understand why the whole time capsule thing doesn't get used as often as it does in fact there's actually a movie that i believe it was done by robert rodriguez and it's a weird kind of um it's a weird take because it stars John Mal- John Malkovich, and I believe the movie is called A Hundred Years. And the reason why it's called A Hundred Years is because um, I'm just looking up the info right now for you, just because I want to be 100% sure. Yeah, so it's called A Hundred Years. It was done in, uh, it was made in 2015, 2015, directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by John Malkovich and starring John Malkovich as well. 
Now, the reason why I'm, I'm tying this in is because they filmed this movie and put it in a time capsule for 100 years. So this, so the plan is on November 18th, two, two, 2115 is when this movie is going to have its premiere. Basically, everybody who created this film will be dead. And most likely, all of us will be dead as well. So none of us are going to see this movie. And it was put into a time capsule, and it's not supposed to be open for 100 years. And we're only, and we're only two and change years from it. So nobody else has seen this film, which I hate the fact that I'm never going to be able to see this film, but I also kind of think it's a really cool stunt. I mean, I'll give it to them. I'll give it to them. It's a fun stunt. But again, I've no, no, I don't know what it's about. None of us will see it. It's just, it's a kind of fun idea. So I'll give you that. Even on their IMDb page, they don't even have character names. They don't even have, they don't even have stories. It's just like the female lead is called Hero Girl. John Malkovich is called Hero. And the third guy is called Bad Guy. That's it. And they don't even have like a synopsis of it. So that's kind of a fun, fun, weird thing. But obviously I'm going off on a little tangent here. But yeah, time capsules. Hollywood, use them more often. So now when they're creating this time capsule, all the students of this elementary school get to put, get to draw a picture of what they think the world is going to be like in 50 years. Unfortunately, one of the girls, uh, her name is Lucinda, played by Laura Robinson, hears things. And instead of drawing a picture, she just writes a ton of numbers on her sheet. And they throw it in and then it cuts... A few more scenes happen, and then it cuts to 50 years later when they're opening it up. Now, Nicolas Cage, at this point, is already a single dad. His wife died, and his son goes to this school. And he is a prof- professor at uh, the, I think it's Boston Boston University, um, or one of the universities in Boston. And... When they take out the time capsule, all the current students get to take one of the pictures and look at it. What happens is Nicolas Cage's son ends up getting the all the numbers. And instead of handing it back in like he was supposed to, he ends up bringing it home. And Nicolas Cage sees it, realizes it, and starts realizing that there's a pattern to it. I won't go into too much details about the patterns because I want you to know. But if, but weirdly enough, the pattern ends up um, predicting events that were supposed to happen over the next 50 years. And, and every single one has come true. Then it turns to... Uh, I won't spoil the rest because I, I actually want you to go and see this if you haven't seen it yet. But what I will tell you is this movie starts ratcheting up just what it's doing, what it's talking about. Rose Byrne's character comes in around around this time after Nicolas Cage realizes kind of what he's holding in his hand because uh, Rose Byrne Diane plays Lucinda's daughter and he wants to kind of figure out like what's going on. And Rose Byrne actually knows more than what she's letting on. She's been trying to hide from, from this stuff her whole life. Until, unfortunately, Nicolas Cage brings it back. 
Now, as I said, I'm not going to go into too too much because I really want you to see it. But what I can tell you is this movie starts ratcheting up, like really ratcheting up. A lot of things start to happen that really make this movie an incredible movie for me. Now, some some of the things I really love is this unique unique story. I feel like this is a story that you don't see too often, especially in mainstream movies or or independent movies these kind of predicting the future stories and what i like about this is this movie blends genres so the first part of this film feels very much like a horror film which makes sense because a lot of the right a lot of because the head writers of the film ended up writing horror movies not very good horror movies but they ended up staying in their area of horror so it blends horror extremely well then periodically as the movie goes along it ends up turning into a thriller and it also turns into kind of a conspiracy thriller as well and a lot a lot of times you see movies that kind of try and be like dramedies or rom-coms and and you know those are those are those are blended genres that you've seen so often now that it's a lot easier to make but to try and blend a a, a mystery thriller horror doesn't happen too often and i think it works really well in this it's a really fun movie to watch what i like about the movie as well is the music it, it, it has its main theme at the start and periodically through which is a beautiful theme a beautiful dark haunting theme and then periodically, it interjects cla- classical music. And I'm a big fan of classical music, so when it's in films, I kind of notice it a little bit more. And it plays perfectly well with this film. Also about this film is the special effects. The special effects in this movie are some of the best special effects I've seen in years. Even re-watching it now, I was extremely impressed with how well it looks. I mean, just the plane scene. If you've seen the movie before, remember to when the plane crash scene happened, that whole scene was a single shot. It took them two days to set up and two days to film. But that entire airplane crash sequence was one single shot. And that is really hard to do. We've seen single shots in... You know, kung, kung fu movies before, um, comedies before. You've seen single shots happen before, but a lot of them are more one-shot tracking shots. This is a one-shot heavy CG and heavy action scene, which any new director, any inexperienced director probably couldn't ha- handle this at all. Another thing I like about this film is not only does it blend, going back to the blended genre thing, it also takes a lot of religious tones. I mean, there's literally religious scene. Uh, I mean, there's there's like religious undertones throughout the entire film. Uh, there's undertones about the main the main thing about this film is is does everything that happens in this world is it for a purpose or is it just random events? That's the kind of crux of the story is which one of these are true. And it's fun to see where it takes. 
there's not a lot of like character there's not amazing character development that's one of the weaker points of this film is you, our characters never seem to really grow you never really see them uh you know any changes that happen they don't happen organically so character development in this film is not the best thing i'll admit it rose burns character like doesn't have just just does not have an arc whatsoever actually she ends up getting worse throughout the film but not in like I understand why she's getting worse. No, she just she just gets more freaked out. So she doesn't even have a character in this whole thing. But the fact that you're watching Rose Byrne, which is a delight to watch, you'll kind of accept it. And Nicolas Cage's character kind of plays the same character through like 80% of the film. And then he only has a change of heart like in the last like five to ten, 10 minutes of the film. And you don't, it doesn't play to the character. Because the whole time he's talking about him and his son are going to stay together forever. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he just decides. It, he doesn't have an organic growth. You don't, you don't, you can't pinpoint to certain things throughout the movie that help explain why his character chose to do what he did at the end. So, again, if you're going into it for character development, don't go into it. Go into it for interesting story, uh, good music, a great atmosphere. Like a, re- like, like a great atmospheric presence throughout this film. You really felt like... It felt like you were in a horror film, but it was like an action horror film. Like you, act- you felt it. It was incredible to feel. I'm going to talk about the ending a bit. So if you haven't seen the, the movie, I'm going to talk about uh, the ending and a little bit more of the story. So if you haven't seen you have, haven't seen it, here is your spoiler alert. Are we good? Have you all stopped? Great. What a fucking ending. And this is the first time I'm swearing on this podcast. But what an ending. That's one of the reasons why I like... Alex's films is because he his endings just take it to the next level. Like sorry, 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 uh, Emmerich, Ronald em- or not Ronald Emmerich, Roland Emmerich. He's the guy that directed Twenty Twelve. Um, I think it was Independence Day as well. Um, let's see, Roland Emmerich, Roland Emmerich, yeah, Roland. Emmerich is known for making like big budget like disaster films, but he's never he's never destroyed the world, and that's what Alex did. Alex literally destroyed the world. He one upped one of the directors who's known for making big budget disaster films, and he just destroys the world. Now the concept of how it ends is so or how it ends is so weird. We end up finding out that all the disasters that have ever happened in the world in the last fifty years were pre-planned that there's this i don't know if they're angels or aliens you could kind of claim them both because at one point they turn into aliens but then they end up growing way but then they end up growing wings that look that look like angel wings and then they recreate a scene from one of the bible from uh, a scene from uh, a picture that uh displays re- displays stuff that happened in the Bibles. You can call them aliens. You can call them angels. You don't really know. 
because even where it goes goes from there they kind of bring people to the garden of eden so apparently all these aliens um or angels um alien jewels alien jewels we'll call them alien jewels all these alien jewels have uh, been kind of contacting young people throughout the world and choosing them to come with them because these aliens know knew that the world was going to end so they've been kind of communicating to certain people that the that the world is coming to an end and they take these kids and they fly them into space and they use their super speed and they fly away and then they land on this planet that literally looks like the garden of eden and it looks like the garden of eden as well because you have a tree that potentially could have had that could have apples growing from it and the only characters you see like you see other ships land and you see other ships fly away so you know that there's other people on this planet as well but you only see the two kids so laura robson's character uh abby and nicholas cage's son and you only see those two so there's your adam and eve so this whole thing ends in these alien jewels like master plan to start a new world but it goes places like if if this is what you pinpointed if 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 you pick, if if you could have guessed what this ending was you're a genius cuz I don't know how you would have seen this and what I like about Alex's endings is he goes places he make like he makes you believe that this craziness that happens at the end. Okay, I get it. I understand. It's like story development is what he's good at, but not character development. But that ending, I love that ending so much. I wish more directors could end their films like he does. I honestly don't, I honestly can't think. Like when I think of a di- director who I know nails the ending, it's it's Alex's name I come up with right off the bat and I can't think of anybody else. Even a lot of the critics, because the critics, the critics don't really like this film. It didn't do very well critically, but a lot of them said what saves this movie is it, it lands the ending. It sticks it. And it's a, it's a, 10.0 ending like the ending is what saves this movie but again I like this whole film and you know who also likes this whole film Roger Ebert gave it a 4 out of 4 so there take that but that's one of the great things about his movies is his endings that's one of the reasons why if, if there's a film that he's doing that's coming out I'll sit, sit there and I'll watch it. And what I like about this is when you're watching thrillers, a lot of the times you're kind of trying to pinpoint things that, okay, I think this might happen. This might happen. This might, you're, you try and, you try and guess the ending, which could take you out of the film at times because you're, you're trying to think about other things instead of watching the film. When I go into an Alex, when I go into an Alex Poros film, I accept that I'm not going to guess the ending and I just sit there and I enjoy enjoy the film. And when it gets to the ending, I get lifted up. And that's what I like about his films. I know they're thrillers. I know there's something coming. But I'm never gonna I'm never gonna guess what it is. You know, where with M. Night Shyamalan films, you can maybe guess. 
because that's what he's good at, the twist endings. These aren't twist endings. They're just ratchet up endings, and they're great. And I love his movies for it. So that is my quick discussion about knowing. If I've missed anything or if there's anything else you want to talk about, please let me know. I look forward to hearing everything else you have to say. You can follow me at Mets at the Movies. I'm still trying to make my way through as many Oscar movies as I can, and I'm hopefully going to soon. Closer to, obviously, the Oscars, I'm going to put up my Oscar Oscar Prediction podcast. So that will be coming around end of February, just in time for the Oscars. I'm hopefully going to do about a week or two weeks before the Oscars to give people time to listen to it. But if there's a film that you want me to do, you want me to to talk about, you want me to give your opinion on, please let, let me know. And until then, I will see you at the next screening.